Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. That brings us to step two, uh, which is to acknowledge the breadth and impact of our struggle. And now sometimes when we're moving from step one to step two, uh, people, uh, they go, aren't these about the same thing? You know, if I admit that I have a struggle, isn't that about the same as acknowledging the breadth and impact of it? And if I can give you a visual for the difference. If I only acknowledge that a struggle is this big, I'm probably only going to give this much effort. But if the struggle is actually this big, and I only give this much effort, it's not going to work. And I'm going to feel like I can give up and say, I tried. I even tried it God's way. This just won't work. I failed, God failed, everything failed, just leave me alone. And the reason for acknowledging the breadth of the problem is not like the puppy who peed in the carpet and we have to rub his nose in it. Um... It's so that uh, we gauge ourselves for the actual journey ahead and we put forth the commensurate effort and commitment to change uh, that needs to be there. And so, uh, one of the things here uh, is for all of us to recognize we started our relationship with food before we had words. Uh, I mean, the baby's crying, they're probably hungry. Try feeding them. If, you don't, if you're not good, you won't get any dessert. You need to be a good boy and eat everything that's on your plate. There is a history uh, that we have in our relationship with food before we ever became intentional about it. And hopefully one of the things that that does is it lets us be less defensive uh, about acknowledging some of these things. There is no way to get around the fact uh, that we were using food for a myriad of reasons other than just fueling our body. And so we ask the question, uh, how might an unhealthy relationship with food be like an addiction? Now again, I don't want to get into the debate, is this a behavioral addiction, is this a food addiction, that kind of thing. I just want to draw out some parallels. Uh, and the purpose here is to simply help you see uh, how, what is the level of severity in this struggle? And so the more of these things that you go, yes, this seems to resonate with my relationship with food, the more of a grip that this has in your life. Uh, and so both uh, promise freedom, um, but delivery sla- deliver slavery. Uh, sin always overpromises and underdelivers. Sin never keeps its promises. And so we come to a moment just thinking this is going to make it better, and then it doesn't. Both are progressive. We never thought we would get this far. We never thought we would be in this place. Both are deceptive. The number one red flag, you'll probably get tired of hearing me say this before we finish, in in an unhealthy relationship with food is lying. Any time that we are lying uh, about what we're eating, what we're not eating, how we're exercising, what we're doing uh, to, to get rid of calories. Whenever we begin to hide, uh, that should be the biggest red flag in our life. 
boast still intimacy. The less honest we are, the less known we'll be. The less known we are, the more alone we'll feel. And so when I begin to relate to food in such a way that I don't feel like I can be honest with others about it, then it is going to create an increasing sense of isolation and loneliness. Uh, Both promote shame, whether that be kind of that self-loathing voice in our own head, self-deprecating sense of humor. Um, You know, when we get into these things, we're just not very nice to ourselves. Uh, Both produce spiritual isolation. When we're trying to manage life with food instead of God, we're going to feel further from God. Um, Both have physiological changes. We'll talk about that in a moment. Both lead us to accept fear and anxiety as a normal part of daily life. The, The longer we are unhealthy in the way that we relate to food, the scarier and more unrealistic a healthy relationship with food will seem. The the longer that my just habits and lifestyle surrounding food, what I use it for is unhealthy. When people give me a picture of what healthy would be, more intimidating that's going to feel. Um, Now, in this area, Cheryl Cruz, uh, her book is more of, it's almost like a journal of her reflecting back on her journey out of an eating disorder. She said, I had years of people complimenting me for my talent, good personality, sense of humor. But these new compliments about her appearance, they were intoxicating. I realized the truth of the statement, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. Now, that kind of statement, if you go, if you're on Twitter and that kind of thing, and you check the hashtag ProAnna, that's not some girl named Anna that everybody likes. Um... It is an entire motivational uh, community promoting an anorexic lifestyle. And and what they do is they give these kind of plumb line statements like she just said. No food tastes as good as skinny feels. Trying to crowd out the voices of those who would say, what you're doing is not healthy, it's not good for yourself. She said, for me, being thinner qualified the need to be loved and accepted by others. I eventually became convinced that death, at least the look of starvation, was beautiful. Uh, I was into being the beauty, uh, the look of the malnourished. I was feeling worse, but believing I was looking better. At 90 pounds, my skin was crepe paper and just hung from my bones. I didn't have enough muscle tone or fat to support any kind of shape. Of course, I just saw that as fat flap. And again, you begin to see the kind of internal deception uh, that can occur. Uh, Top of the next page, I give you some things there. Uh, Whenever we've got an unhealthy unhealthy relationship with food, we probably have an unhealthy relationship with the scale in our house. Uh, And if that's the case, I just give you some guidance there. Um, But one of the things, if you read a book about disordered eating... One of the, almost all of them have a chapter uh, that have a title that in some way says it's not about the food. Um, That there is more to what's going on than just the food that we are or are not eating. And so here, I give you some of the patterns of thinking um, that undergird our relationship with food. 
you know, we might say disordered eating uh, begins about three inches northwest of our mouth. Uh, It's right up here in the frontal lobe uh, where the way that we are thinking about life contributes to what we do with food. And I give you ten thought patterns here. Uh, These thought patterns, if you read a book on anxiety, you will find these same kinds of thought patterns that this is an unhealthy way to think. And here's the reason why it is important to recognize these as broken patterns of thought. Because if we just try to argue with the content of this thought and we don't see the pattern, we'll get lost in a debate and we won't see that we're in a futile system. And so the more we can see the pattern of thought, where we frame something as if it's just all or nothing, it's great or it's awful. And if it's not great, it must be terrible. And it's as if we live with a thermometer that says freezing or boiling. Well, there's a lot of temperatures in between there. But if our emotional temperature gauge is that bifurcated, if it's that divided, we're not going to relate to, to many things well. And so uh, I would encourage you to look through there and and figure out which ones of those uh, do I do most often. Now, uh, we ask another question in terms of acknowledging the breadth and the impact of our struggle. It's how is my unhealthy relationship with food affecting me? Uh, Disordered eating is profoundly physical. And as we go through this section, there's really two things that I would want you to do. First, identify those changes that are already occurring as a way to help motivate yourself to commit to the change that is needed. Uh, And secondly, be aware of those uh, changes that are coming if you don't as a way to sober you to the need to change. Now, if you say, "I I don't know some of these. Some of these sound really medical. I would strongly encourage you to go to your physician. Uh, Oftentimes we hear that kind of recommendation uh, and we don't do it because we don't know what to ask. And so I think that's one of the benefits here uh, and some of the other material we'll go through is whether it's a physician or a nutritionist, it gives us the kind of things to ask. We learn more of the kind of guidance that they're going to give us that will be helpful so that we're in a better position to utilize what those individuals have to offer. And so uh, what are the physical effects of anorexia. Um, You know, osteoporosis and uh, osteopenia. Uh, That is basically a a decay of the bones. Uh, The bones getting brittle uh, and weaker. Uh, Dry, rashy skin. Also thinning hair. Um, Gastrointestinal imbalance. Uh, When we don't use our our gastrointestinal system where it digests our food enough, uh, here's the parallel that I would give you. Usually about this time of year, uh, I take my push mower, I put it in the garage, uh, and it sits there for about five months. It is underutilized, and the first time I try to crank it up, uh, there's usually this prolonged battle of trying to get it to operate. When we don't use uh, our gastrointestinal system on the regular basis that God designed, uh, a same kind of uh, disruption occurs. Abnormal blood counts, Uh, anemia, which has to do with our red blood cells and energy level, our white blood cells that have to do with fighting off disease, Uh, all of those things come off. Hypoglycemia, 
shakiness, dizziness, kind of cold sensitivity, uh, difficulty concentrating, all of that when the blood sugar levels of our body uh, don't have the food resource that they need uh, to remain constant. So that contributes to slow thinking, uh, mood swings, uh, no menstrual uh, cycle. Uh, Our body will prioritize certain functions. And when we get to the point that our body is starting to shut down major functions in order to try to accommodate the lack of nutrition, uh, that should be a significant red flag. Uh, Irregular heartbeat. Uh, This has to do with a potassium deficiency. Uh, This is what causes the heart attacks that make eating disorders the highest fatality of any counseling diagnosis. Uh, And and so if you have uh, played sports or uh, been around people who played sports, you've known a Charlie horse when you're out there playing and it feels like your calf muscle just turns into a a slab of concrete and then you fall down and don't know quite what to do with it. Uh, And, and, you know, your coach will tell you you need to eat more bananas to get potassium. That same thing that's happening in a calf muscle begins to happen in your heart, which is a lot more serious than it happening in your calf muscle. Uh, And and so that's where, uh, you know, this just becomes a a very serious thing. Uh, So then we come to uh, the physical effects of bulimia. And and we could say all of the effects of anorexia are there, um, but we would add a few others. Uh, Severe constipation. Uh, This is especially for those who abuse laxatives um, because the the effects of the laxatives uh, just leads to a muscular atrophy uh, in the digestive system. Uh, Body swelling. Uh, Usually with the flushing uh, of food that comes along with bulimia, uh, there's a lot of fluids lost in that process. Your body can tell that it's losing fluids. So it reacts and it begins to retain fluids, uh, which leads to body swelling. Now, if we are in the midst of bulimia and our biggest concern is being fat, how do we view that retaining of water? We view that as the problem getting worse because we're getting fat, not because our body is responding to what we're doing to it. Uh, Tooth decay. Uh, from the uh, acidic uh, over the esophagus uh, because of uh, vomiting. Same thing with voice box damage. Uh, Stomach and intestinal ulcers. Again, because of the flushing of the body uh, that happens with bulimia, uh, the stomach is consistently flushing its acid, whether that be through vomiting or laxatives. And so the body perceives that and says, ah, we're using a whole lot of acid. We've got to increase acid production in our body. And so our stomach begins to produce a lot more acid than it normally would to accommodate for the flushing behaviors. And so all of these things our body does just because our body adapts to what's going on. What about overeating? Uh, well, there's the, uh, maybe the most obvious of obesity, uh, but gastrointestinal imbalance. Uh, here, instead of uh, the lawnmower being placed in the garage, uh, because the digestive system is being asked to produce or to respond to more food uh, than it should, uh, it doesn't get the rest that it needs. Uh, then there's that quadrant of um, High cholesterol, heart disease, high blood pressure, and stroke uh, that comes from overeating, uh, type 2 diabetes, uh, sleep apnea. Uh, As we get overweight, 
Uh, our ability to breathe while we're sleeping uh, can become compromised. Uh, and this is something that really begins to feed on itself. When we don't get adequate sleep, our body begins to crave sugars and carbohydrates because it's looking for a quick energy boost uh, to, to give it the energy that it didn't get from sleep. And so if you find that you're snoring and sleeping restlessly, uh, part of getting a healthy relationship with food may be talking with your doctor about a sleep study and seeing if there's something that can be done there so that your body gets the rest, gets the energy that God intended through sleep and doesn't try to counter that through an additional uh, calorie consumption. Uh, And then there is arthritis. Uh, the result of being overweight and our joints being asked to carry more weight uh, than our body frame was designed to do. Now, if you're the kind of person who says, this won't happen to me, I would simply, politely, lovingly say, you're wrong. This is how our bodies work. There's no way around that. If it hasn't happened, the only word that we can put in there is yet. It hasn't happened yet. Uh, As Gregory Jantz would say, our bodies uh, are able to tolerate an enormous amount of abuse. But sooner or later, they begin to break down. And so I give you a couple of Bible studies here. What you have is the listening guide. Uh, There's a larger notebook in the front of your uh, notebook or in your listening guide. It tells you the email address to ask us for that. Uh, But there's just a whole lot of Bible studies that will take you through to undergird this material. I've got a couple of samples here in the listening guide. If you look at Genesis 2 and John 1, what you're going to see is that God is very pro-body. God created bodies and He said they were good. When God came and took on flesh, He assumed a body. God likes bodies. If you look at Exodus 20, uh, there's one of the commands that says, Thou shalt not kill. And we may get a little defensive about looking at uh, disordered eating and saying, How does that relate? Well, I think if in Matthew 5, Jesus can say, Lust is early onset adultery. Then he can look at starving ourselves or overeating and say, That is early onset adultery. Uh, suicide or artificial death. Uh, And sometimes we think, no, that doesn't count because this is just me. But the commands of Scripture apply as much in how we relate to ourselves as how we relate to others. Lying to myself is still lying. And this isn't because uh, God wants to be mean. Uh, It's because God, He wants... He's a loving father who wants to see his children flourish. He doesn't want to be the food police. He brings these things to bear to us because he wants to see us uh, do everything that he designed for us to do before the foundations of the world. Uh, Now at this early phase in the process, uh, I would just maybe some initial marks of healthiness uh, to strive for. We'll get to a few more of these a lot later when we hit to step six. Um, But at this stage, if you're walking through this as a journey, here's some things that I would encourage. One, get adequate sleep. There is no such thing as a balanced diet in an imbalanced life. And that's where a lot of us wrestle. 
But if we, if we don't have a balanced life, we will never have a balanced diet. And one of the first places that we can begin to intervene is just say, look, I'm getting at least 50 hours of sleep every week, no matter what, that's a priority. Don't skip breakfast. There's lots of physiological reasons that we could give for why breakfast is important. I think all of those uh, have merit and value. I'd encourage you to look those up on the Internet. Here's the one that I'll give. Don't start your day punishing yourself. When we start the day skipping breakfast because we feel like we have to, we're starting the day with punishment. That is not the way God would have us start our day. Uh, plan what you will eat. Uh, I give you a, a food guide here uh, that is just something that you can fill out uh, up at the top. I encourage you to put your name on it. Uh, that's just so you can own it and this is yours. Uh, you know, put the day there. You're not going to have to make one of these every day for the rest of your life because most of us don't eat that many different foods. We make four or five of these. We can kind of alternate through them as we go. The healthy calorie range, uh, probably what I would recommend there. Uh, if you go to calorieking.com, uh, calorie king, like the guy with the crown, uh, what you can do in about 20 seconds, it's going to ask you your age, your height, your gender, your activity level. Um, in, uh, it's going to say, you know, what's your level of, you know, how much are you active during a day? And it's going to give you a calorie range uh, that is well suited for you. It'll give you a range that if you're trying to lose weight, if you're trying to maintain your weight, if you're trying to gain weight, it was just an excellent resource that when I was looking, I felt like this in just a few seconds gave me the information that I was looking for. Now, if you're here and your struggle uh, is in the area of anorexia or bulimia uh, and calorie counting has been a struggle, just skip that part. Now, uh, you'll notice down here, uh, I give us five times uh, that we're going to eat something during the day. Uh, I think more smaller meals um, are better whether we're trying to gain weight or lose weight. Um, food amount. Again, when you, when you begin to put in what is healthy, uh, it may feel odd if those are not the parameters uh, that we've been living within. Level of hunger. Now, uh, on the page there, right before you turned over to this food plan, I, I give you like a 1 to 10 scale so that this isn't just subjective. But your goal is to never let your level of hunger go below 3. And never let your level of kind of feeling full or satisfied go above seven. We want to live much more in the range of three to seven than bouncing between like two to nine. Uh, because that's where we often get off. Feelings. Uh, this is where, begin to look at your, um, what are your non-hunger uh, related food motives? Uh, as you're eating uh, do you feel shame? Are you eating to offset a sense of stress or anger or depression? Begin to put those things down so that we can find better ways to deal with those parts of life uh, than food. Again, that level of hunger after we eat, we don't want that to go above seven. And then if the struggle is with bulimia, uh, then was there uh, a temptation to purge? Uh, if we purge, we put Y. If we didn't, we put no. If we were tempted, we put T. And that's the kind of thing that as we build a support network, uh, that if bulimia is part of your struggle, 
um, that you can begin to consistently be honest about that instead of making it a point uh, that we try uh, to hide. Now, uh, the fourth part of just this basic food uh, plan is every balanced proportional meal is a victory. Uh, Victory is not a changing number on a scale. Victory is every meal that honors God by caring well for your body. And that's the mentality. Our goal is not a number. Our goal is to steward well the body that God has given us. And, And in the same way that we want to bless the food before we eat, after the meal, we want to be able to say, I honored God with this meal. Now, as we talk about this, uh, Gary Thomas tells us one of the challenges. He says, to make matters worse, losing one pound or gaining one pound, uh, if you've been over-restricting, doesn't feel like it makes any difference at all, even though losing that weight uh, can be difficult to do. The sacrifice to reward ratio is just out of whack. Uh, When we get into this, if our goal is a certain number on a scale, then the amount of work that we feel like we have to do to get somewhere, uh, it, it just doesn't feel like it's worth it. But if our goal is to be a steward of our body and to honor God with every meal that we eat, then we can leave every meal and snack with a sense of satisfaction and accomplishment. 